0: Disturbing. Discretion is advised. to a new edition of Gabriel Talks Football. My name is Aldo Gandia, and I just want to let you know that this is the last Gabriel Talks Football for a few weeks. As I'm heading on vacation, we'll find out if Greg is going to do a vacation. But I just want to alert you that you don't have to worry. The Chicago Bears content is still going to flow from the barroom. And in fact, we have a new show debuting today at 10 p.m. Central. Jordan Silvera will debut bare necessities he's going to look at some tape of larry borum and talk about some strategy and uh, all sorts of great things so hopefully you can join him live and interact with him in the chat room and if not that show like all of our shows will be on demand here on youtube and will also be distributed through our audio podcast channels let me welcome in greg right now greg how are you my friend and i
1: am wonderful how are you,
0: you look wonderful did you do your workout this morning
1: absolutely
0: of course you did. <laughs> I keep looking at that picture of you with your yeah, muscles. No, I,
1: I I had to do a deposition 2 days ago and that did not have me in a good mood. Cuz oh. the guy the guy I'm always against. Uh-huh. And I won't mention names cuz he turn around and sue me. But <laughs> what a <laughs> asshole.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you have clued me in on some of the confidence yeah, of the two of you I won't say anything more than that, but it's it's an interesting uh, kind of rivalry that you guys have built. Oh, yeah. <laughs>
1: I can't wait till the next one.
0: <laughs> Maybe uh, you'll, when we do your tell-all book, uh, we can share those stories with everyone sure. else. <laughs> uh, by the way, are you going on vacation this summer? You going anywhere special with the wife?
1: I I, I want to get up to Buffalo. I haven't been to Buffalo in two and a half years because of COVID and mm-hmm. stuff, so I, I, I want to get there sometime. In fact, you know, my my good buddy went up, he was there in June, his mother-in-law's in in Rochester, which is an hour away. Mm -hmm. And there was an outing from my high school, a golf outing from my high school. So he went to it and Mm -hmm. there was like 110 guys from there, mostly from the classes when I was there, you know, so I would have known a lot of people. He said he knew at least 60 out of 110 people.
2: Mm-hmm. So there's
1: another one. They have two a year. There's another one in August. So I am going to try to go to that. It's right in the middle of the week, so it should be easy to to get to.
0: I would imagine the weather in Buffalo in August uh, would be uh, really nice, huh?
1: Yeah. It, it, Buffalo summers are great. You know, it, it's got, it has this notoriety of being cold and snowy. Yeah, it gets snow because you get lake effect snow. You're, you're, you're on the east side of the lake. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't get anywhere near as cold as here. <laughs>
2: I don't. Know. I mean,
1: not even close. I mean, we, we get a lot of days where it gets below zero or, or in single digits. You seldom see that in Buffalo. But mm-hmm. then in the summer, the lake, Lake Erie, almost acts as a, a built in air conditioner and it keeps the temperatures a little bit milder. So, like, those high 90 days, low 100 days like we had last week or the week before and we'll probably have before the summer's over, you don't get those. You might get three or four low 90 days, but, you know, the majority of the summer's in the 80s. Uh,
0: Jordan wants to know if you've got a favorite spot to pick up wings when you're in Buffalo.
1: Oh, God. There's a million spots.
0: Any Anyone that uh, uh, any, that has a special recipe that you uh, particularly well, adore? Well,
1: they, they – they started at a place called, um, oh, now it's it's uh, the Anchor Bar, eluding my name, and what it was is the people on the Anchor Bar, mm-hmm. their son was a Buffalo cop, mm-hmm. and he used to when he got off shift he'd bring other cops in with them. The place was closed, mm-hmm. and mom would take nobody ate chicken wings. This goes back to the nineteen seventies. She'd take the chicken wings and and fry them up with a special sauce. And, you know, these guys loved it. And then it caught on. And so I'm going to say it was right around the top, right when I was around getting out of college. So in that 1973, 74, 75 area. And, you know, since then it's grown. But they're all good, you got to have deep fried now. If they're not deep fried and full of cholesterol and ready to kill you then <laughs> then they aren't any good. they're not done right. You know, you know, a baked chicken wing is is crap compared to the, <laughs> the the way that it's supposed to be.
0: yeah well i uh I'm dripping to- and
1: dripping and fat, you know.
0: Last time I was in Buffalo was probably around 25 years ago, and it was in the fall. And boy, it was football weather. It was uh, cold and gloomy looking. And I, I when were you there in November? I was there in, in November. Yes. Um, yeah, it can,
1: get, it can get a little
0: chilly. Yeah. 2004 five uh, nice town, but man, it was. Gloomy. Well, I wanted to,
1: right around in that time because I was living here. Mm-hmm. They had a freak lake effect. A snowstorm, some front went through at the end of October mm-hmm. and dumped probably 15 inches of snow on the area. And I mean, it destroyed because trees still had their leaves on them. Mm-hmm. And then all the weight from the snow and the leaves had destroyed just a ton of, of trees mm-hmm. and stuff, especially golf courses and stuff. It took a while to recover from that.
0: Yeah. Oh, man, that sucks. By the way, you ever see a movie called Buffalo 66? heard about it but i never saw it yeah it is the most bizarre movie uh it's a psychosexual drama but this one guy's his family they live in buffalo and every sunday they put in their vhs tape of the buffalo bills first super bowl game the one that uh they lost because of the missed field goal and they relive it and they 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 relive it in a way where they actually think it's happening live and mm-hmm. so uh, euphoric throughout the game, and then the the misery that they go through after, and throughout the week, the, the sting of having lost that game, and it's kind of a metaphor, I think, for living in Buffalo. I don't I don't know what the filmmaker was thinking. I, I was at,
1: I was at that game because where are the, you? Well, it was, it was against the Giants. I was I was working for the Giants.
0: Oh, that's right. You told me you got the uh, free tickets from the the Giants.
1: Well, I had in in fact uh, that, that was our second Super Bowl. Buffalo's first. Mm-hmm. and it, it was a freak thing because for some odd reason there was only a week between the championship games mm-hmm. and the Super Bowl mm-hmm. and that, there were tickets galore and on top of that you had the uh, golf war going on oh yeah and they, right. they, they can't the, the league camp canceled the commissioner's party and a lot of the events that were part of usually part of Super Bowl week were all canceled they real heavy security back if you see videos of that game, there's there's helicopter gunships flying around the stadium the entire game. And hey, but let anyway, me,
0: let, me, let me interrupt you quickly. Jiggle that microphone a little bit because we're getting a little static when you talk. How about that?
2: A little better. Uh,
0: go, go the the right part on, by your right shoulder where the microphone is. Yeah, jiggle that around a little bit. There, there, there you go. Okay, that's excellent. Okay, thank. You.
1: So we, you know, I, I took I took a lot of my family. Uh, the first Super Bowl, so that was January '87. So, four years previous, we played Denver out of Pasadena at the Rose Bowl, and mm-hmm. then this one I took a lot of my ex-wife's family. So we're sitting next to my, you know, my my father-in-law sitting next to me, and coming up to that field goal, and he goes, "I hope he makes it." And I just looked at him. I go, "If he makes it or misses it." it's a difference of a lot of money to me and you hope he makes it
0: <laughs> that's funny <laughs> that's funny all right well let's turn our attention now to our chicago bears because uh hopefully they're going to win and make us a lot of money somehow some way Um, We have, over the last several shows, been evaluating this roster that the team is going to take to training camp. And the one position area, uh, of course, that we have saved for last, because there's really no debate as to who's going to be the number one quarterback on this team, is, of course, Justin Fields. But that wanted to talk about the overall room and also what your expectations are for Justin Fields. Now, the overall room is, of course, Justin Fields, the second-year man out of Ohio State, Uh, The number two quarterback is expected to be Trevor Simeon, who is now a seven-year journeyman. I think this is his fifth or sixth team that he has been in the league. Uh, He's got lots of experience. And Nathan Peterman, who I saw play in the senior bowl. Wow, he's in sixth year in the league. So that was six years ago I saw him play in the senior bowl, and he did not impress. I I thought he'd never make an NFL roster, but in fact, he has stuck around, and uh, kudos to him. Overall, what do you think about the quarterback room before we start talking about each quarterback specifically?
1: Well, let, let, let's start with the two backups and then we'll get into to Justin. Right. Uh, I, I think Trevor Simeon is an ideal backup. He's played a lot of games in the league already and it's in the seven year, well, this will be a seventh year. Uh, very smart guy, went to Northwestern. Uh, he's got good mobility. He doesn't have Justin Fields mobility, but who the hell does. Uh, and, you know, he's going to get you out of a game. And, and if you have to play him for a couple games because of injury, he can do it. So, and, and he knows and understands that backup role and accepts it. You know, you got to have that right. You got to have the right brain going, so to speak, you know, to accept that role. Cause some guys, you know, want to be the starter and I'm sure he wants to be a starter, but he knows, now, seven years in the league, he, he knows what his career is in the National Football League, and that's to be a backup quarterback. And you know what? That's the best damn job in football. You're not <laughs> going to make $15 million a year or $20 million like the quarterback, but you're going to make five to $7 million a year. You're not going to get hit unless somebody gets hurt. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you don't get dirty. That's a great job. <laughs> It certainly is. (laughs) You just you gotta be prepared. I'll tell you the backup quarterback, he's got to be heady, you know, because he's not getting very many reps, he gets very limited reps during the week when they're putting the game plan together. Yet at the same time, he's got to be mentally prepared to play the game if in fact the the starter goes down.
2: Mm -hmm. So
1: that that that's key to being that backup quarterback. Now, Nathan Peterman. It's funny. You just said you didn't like him at the senior role. I remember watching with Pitt that year and I liked him. I thought he had some moxie to him mm-hmm. and won some tough games. And then he gets drafted by Buffalo. And I thought, you know, this guy's got a chance. And this was obviously before Josh Allen came around and the starter gets hurt. And I don't remember who the starter was and he's got to go in and he throws two interceptions, neither of which were his fault mm-hmm. on the road. And then he comes back to Buffalo and plays a game and he throws a bunch more interceptions. And again, none of which were, I think one was his fault. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some of them were chip balls, drop balls, types of things where the receiver dropped the ball and then it goes into the hands of the, the defender type thing. And it just killed this guy's confidence. And then the media, of course, killed him, and he needed a change of scenery. And they let him go. And he been to a couple teams. He was a, a backup out with with the Raiders, and actually had some success when he had to play. And I'm going to go with my initial thinking on Nate Peterman. I, you know, I think as a number three, mm-hmm. you, you know, you'd be hard pressed to find a lot better guy, you know, better guys in the league right now.
2: I bet he's got
1: yeah. he's got experience. Now the key is how many are they going to keep on the roster? There's there's not a fourth, uh, you know. Ideally, you you know you'd like your th- put your third on on the practice squad and then bring them up if you have to. Mm-hmm. But then you know two guys go if two guys go down during the game and you don't have a third. You're you're sol. Yes, you know so. <laughs> yeah personally, I'd rather have three
2: mm-hmm.
1: and then you know he's your he's dressed. he's your forty sixth guy, right, but he cannot play unless the first two guys get hurt, right. and uh, you know I, I I I know we can get you out of a game. another guy he's not gonna get any reps. you know he the most of the reps he's gonna get is gonna be during the preseason. In fact, that it wouldn't be. I would be a bit surprised. You'll probably see Justin Fields play a little in the opening preseason game, uh, but you're going to see mostly the two backups, Simeon and Peterman, in that opening game.
0: Yeah, and overall, I, I mean, I I'm with you. I think this is a strong quarterback room for you know. Given, of course, that there there's a dearth of uh, quarterbacks in the National Football League, I'm not sure there are good. 32 starting quarterbacks in the National Football League, and so if you can land a backup tandem of Simeon and Peterman, that's not a bad thing. No,
1: I, and, and you know what? You got three really smart guys. Now let's talk about Justin. Mm-hmm. He's got some special talent. Uh, did some really good things last year, and, and there was times when he didn't look so good. I don't really know if it was all his fault. When 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 you look at Especially that first game against Cleveland. Look at the game plan, how he was used. wasn't necessarily used to his strengths. Uh, had a weak receiving core. The offensive line struggled because of injuries. But again, even if you have all those problems and you game plan correctly, you got a chance. Mm-hmm. And and it just, you know, hearing stuff after the fact now, I I it's, you know I I think that he is going to be a lot better within this scheme. And and, and the beauty of at least the first part of the season, the first couple games, because nobody else is going to have any tape. And and we've talked about this before. You're going to be, they're going to study green Bay tape and they're going to study San Francisco tape because that's basically the the same type of offense. And, but they don't know how Luke gets, he's going to call plays and, or they don't know exactly how, the bears are going to use Justin Fields. Are they going to have him playing from the pocket, they're going to have him uh, doing some rollouts, you know, those types of things. And so I- until the opposing teams get some real tape and the preseason isn't going to count. Right. So until they get some some of uh, some tape of real live game action, that's advantage bears at least for the first couple games.
0: Mhm. Well, and we have to talk about uh, Justin's athletic ability because that's one of the traits that puts him far above most quarterbacks in the league. Uh, And the Piesta resistance of his rookie season was this play against San Francisco on a fourth down and one. It's a busted play, and he creates here in a maestro fashion, uh, getting into the end zone and getting the uh, Bears back into this game. What, what? Oh, look at this, a commercial. Let's let's see. It's for a T-shirt. <laughs> I need new T-shirts. Where the hell did uh, you get that? It just popped uh, in. The NFL doctor wants their money. <laughs> okay. Uh, but here it is on the uh, overhead view. Yeah,
1: that, 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 that was a hell of a play on his oh, part. And he had, a, he had a number of those. I mean, he's hmm. got that ability, rare ability, and probably – as good ability, if not the best ability, maybe Lamar Jackson might be the only one better that can really create and make plays with his feet. Mm-hmm. And he, he, any defense has got to account for that. And so, now granted, you don't want him to run as much as he, he he's taken off in the past, but at the same time, because of that rare athleticism, now look at look at Buffalo. They run Josh Allen a lot. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he's he's been their second leading rusher like forever since he's been on the team. And but now he's a lot bigger. He's six five and he's probably two hundred and fifty pounds. Where uh, Fields is probably two twenty five to two thirty. But Fields he's not a small guy. He's a big guy. Yeah, uh, you know, and he can take a hit. You just don't want him to take a hit. Nice. So you know, it, it it's a matter of when you do run. Being smart, sliding, go out of bounds, so you don't have to take a hit and put yourself into a situation where you can get an injury.
2: Mm.
0: How has that changed over year uh, years of evaluating quarterbacks? I mean, I remember as a kid, you know, it's the traditional—you want your six foot five, six foot six, Burke Jones, Peyton Manning type. A uh, guy who was uh, had a strong arm out of the pocket, and then over the years the game started to change a bit, and you had all these mobile quarterbacks in in college. But I kept saying to myself, "There's no way these guys can last in the NFL. They're just going to get that you can't run around like that in the NFL and expect to have a long career." But that has that changed? And that well,
1: you got better athletes playing the position. Okay. Okay. So so it, the game always evolves. The game's always changing,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and so if you can get a guy that let's talk about Lamar Jackson. He he struggled in college. You look at his, his passing stats and him throwing at Louisville. He was all over the place, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but the one thing he could do is create with his feet and keep plays alive with his feet. And he's learned to become a better than adequate passer. I don't think he's ever going to be a great passer, (laughs) but he's become You know, mid fifties, maybe even low sixty percent. I don't know what his stats are from last year, but when you look at college, it was low fifties. How Josh Allen was was low fifties in college, and that's what was a big question with him. Big athletic guy, but a a lot of it has to do with with uh, uh, football character and how hard they work at the game, and how you know do they want to become great players Mm -hmm. and both of those guys do want to become great players and and they've got uh some rare talent and josh allen you just seen you know he was this kind of quiet country boy from from rural california when he came to the bills as a rookie Mm -hmm. and now he's real brash i mean i don't know if you watched uh the golf match with him and uh tom him brady and and uh that guy up north. And, uh, <laughs> and he gives them as much shit as anybody. I mean, yeah. and,
2: and,
1: you know, he, he, he's like, and, and you could tell he does not like Tom Brady.
2: Mm.
1: And probably because Brady played for New England for so long. And, and when, they, when they were at New England, they owned the Bills. But right now, the Bills own New England exactly. the last few years.
0: That is true. Yeah, I didn't see the match, but I saw some of the social media interaction and some of the highlights. Uh, yeah, uh, this young guy from Buffalo, he's, he's quite the character, and he could be the next uh, uh, superstar quarterback, uh, kind of uh, take over the mantle from Tom Brady, unless Justin Fields does, of course. So we'll we'll see about that.
1: Well, there's, there's room for more than one. I mean, you know, yeah. yeah. <laughs> You got Brady, you got the guy in Kansas City. There's a lot of good quarterbacks out there.
0: Mm -hmm. Yep. Uh, People in the chat room, please uh, continue on with the questions. I will collect them and we'll get to our Q&A segment a little later. Uh, Thanks for that. So uh, realistic expectations uh, for year two for Justin Fields, I get a little concerned because there's everything is new: new offensive line, new play calling, new new scheme, new playbook, new wide receivers. Everything is new, and it, and and my experience is that quarterbacks usually take a little time. You know, every we've heard it here in Chicago. It takes three years to learn this offense. We hear from every head coach, and then three years they're gone.
2: But I, uh, I, don't,
1: I don't know people. if it. Learn takes three years to learn this offense. Mm-hmm. I mean, this offense that they're running is actually pretty a pretty common scheme within the league. There's a, the Rams use it, the 49ers use it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Green Bay obviously uses it. it. It's all a derivative of Mike Shanahan's offense when he was in Denver. Then his son had it, and you know his son taught it to the LA coach. You know McVeigh when when McVeigh was under him in in uh, Washington, uh, and Lafleur was with him. I think down in 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 Atlanta. You know, so th- there's a lot of teams that use it. So you're you're using the uh, how the terminology differs from from Nagy's terminology. I don't know. That's the big thing. You know, everybody runs similar type plays. Mm-hmm. It's the terminology and learning the terminology, and once you get that down, then it becomes pretty easy. I, I think it, it, it in reality it, it can be harder for receivers because receivers got to make side adjustments, mm-hmm. and that they got to be able to read a defense or read a coverage on the run, mm-hmm. and not slow down. They got to go do it at full speed, and they and depending what the coverage is tells them what route they might have two or three different options in a route depending on what the coverage is and you got to be able to do it at full speed and that's what separates you know guys coming into the league and being outstanding at that position or being average because it just takes them a while to adjust to that pro route tree and the adjustments as compared to what they were uh, doing in college in fact i, I was you know, I, I do some evaluation for uh, one of the sports agencies and I was doing a receiver right before I did this show. And then I, I wrote it up and I just said, you know, he it's going to take him a while. Mm-hmm. His uh, <laughs> where he goes to school and the route tree he has at that school. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just so simple as compared to what you're asking. And then I felt a receiver to do that. It's going to take him a while to adjust now, what you don't know when you're looking at, at tape is what's upstairs. You know, how smart is he to be able to pick these things up right. and, and, again, be able to do it at full speed? So I'll, I'll go back. I, You know, yeah, it's a, it's a change in an adjustment for the quarterback. But if he works at it, he's going to get it. I Like I said, I think it could be harder for the receivers than it can
2: be for the quarterback. Mm-hmm.
0: We've talked about this running back room, uh, and uh, we're we're impressed by it. We we like the names in there. We like the talent in there. We like the potential uh, that's in there. I know that you are an evaluator evaluator of talent uh, first, but in terms of scheme, would you like to see the Bears, you know, like Love used to say, come off the bus and run the ball?
1: Yeah, I yeah I think in reality is a lot of teams want to do that <laughs> and they say they're going to do it, but then they don't. Yeah. You like, know whatever and, and, and it's, it's, uh, and and the key really is, is who's calling the plays?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Who, who's got the play card in his hand and, and is the guy calling the plays? And it's, he's the guy that has to make the right decisions. And he's the guy who has got a dab. You want to run the ball? He's got to, it's, he's got to have in his mind that we're going to run the ball. Too many people, you know, they start to run the ball in the first quarter, they don't have success, and then they get away from it.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And and what you might not have success in the first quarter, you got to keep pounding and keep pounding. And sooner or later, you're going to have success in the game. Might take until the second half, but the game's four quarters.
0: Mm -hmm. But the key thing is that the defense keeps you in the game.
1: That's right. You got to have the game short, but you know if you're falling behind seventeen points, twenty-one points, Mm -hmm. now you got to throw the ball. But at the same time, if you can be close in that game score-wise, your defense is doing a good job. Keep pounding that pill, and you're going to have success in the second half.
0: The uh, Chicago Bears team record for touchdown passes thrown, I believe, uh, belongs to Jay Cutler in the 2014 season when he threw 28. Is it too much to uh, hope for? I don't want to use the word hope, but is it too much to say? If I was going to Vegas and uh, I was going to lay a bet and say uh, Greg. I'm going to throw a thousand bucks on him beating that record. Would you say I'm stupid, or would you say that you know it's hey, a good back? Give it a shot. I,
1: I, I'm going to give you an answer that you're not expecting. Okay. Get a long-term weather forecast that's accurate.
0: Ah, uh, I see where you're going. I see. You where
1: you're know, going. because there's going to be games. Uh, you've been at Soldier Field when the wind's blowing. Oh yes. You, you can't. You can't throw the ball.
2: That's right. You
1: know, so there was times when Mitchell was a quarterback here and he'd start off the season and say, Hey, he's going to throw for 4,000 yards. And he's going to have 33, 34 TDs.
2: Mm-hmm. And then he
1: gets to that second half of the season and, and you get into some bad weather games and that changes everything. It does, And it could happen. It could happen on the road too. Yeah, You know, people should take some stats of the people, you know, of the, of the quarterbacks that put up, these big numbers,
2: mm-hmm. and, and
1: Aaron Rodgers is is you know he obviously puts up big numbers, and the the weather for some reason in Green Bay is a lot milder than it is here, even yeah. though even though they're two and a half hours, three hours north, yes, yeah. But it is it is a lot milder and not nearly as windy as it gets in Chicago. Mm-hmm. But you know a lot of these guys they're playing in fair weather cities, yeah, true. true. As, as compared to here now. Josh Allen plays in some, in, in some tough weather in Buffalo and he puts up some big numbers mm-hmm. and they, and they've, he's gotten to the point, he's grown to the point. And when they had Brian Dayball calling the plays as, as the offensive coordinator, you know, he didn't give a damn. We're going to do what we want to do regardless of the weather. They got to stop us.
0: Just digressing here for a point, would you like to see the Bears uh, move to an indoor facility uh, and uh, play football indoors, or, or are you a traditionalist and, and would prefer to see them play cold weather?
1: Yeah, I, I think, yeah, from from a fan standpoint, the fan would love to, to sit in the dome stadium and not have to worry about the elements. <laughs> uh, from a football standpoint, I think you like it, it creates an advantage, mm-hmm. especially if you're playing a, a southern city. Yeah, our southern team late in the season, and they come up because you know it, it could be 15 degrees. Say you're playing Miami mm-hmm. and and uh, or Jacksonville or somebody, and it's 15 degrees out. 15 degrees to them is like zero <laughs> or three below because yeah. they're just not used to it,
0: exactly.
2: Very true. That's and, and like-
1: I, I will never forget this game as mm-hmm. long as I, like, we played. Atlanta on a Monday night game.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Or not a Monday night game, a Sunday night game. And it was in single digits and the wind chill was below zero.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: They put up the white flag before the first quarter was done. And mm-hmm. we blew them out. Well and now, I it might have been the season we went to the Super Bowl. I don't recall the exact season, but it was in the in that area. Mm-hmm. And and Michael Vick was a quarterback. But I, I mean, they showed up for about two series, mm-hmm. and that was all over. They they just couldn't handle the cold weather.
0: Well, and I was at that Bears-Rams uh, game in 2018, and it was so obvious that Jared Goff, the present Detroit Lions quarterback, uh, w- was not only defeated by the Bears' defense, but the weather got to him. Uh, he just did not want to be at Soldier Field playing in those conditions against that defense. So combination of uh, harsh weather and... And a great defense can really help a football team. So, yeah, from, from that standpoint, hey, if the Bears if the Bears were winning Super Bowls on, with those elements, I'd be happy. But if they're not going to win Super Bowls, then let's go inside, guys. <laughs>
1: That's my you know, that, point of view. That, you know, it's funny you mentioned that, Kay, because that morning I did a, a three-hour show um, on the score, mm-hmm. co-host of the score. And um, obviously that was the topic of conversation because it was going to be a huge game. I don't remember the weather being all that
0: bad. Oh, it was! It was. Uh, Greg Braggs and I were at that game together, and we froze our nuts off, man. It was bad. It was really, really bad. Well, what's bad? Well, I, I, I don't. I can't remember exactly the temperature, but I think that with the wind chill. It was down to like zero, two, three degrees. Right. Uh, it, it,
1: I it, mean, you know, I, I grew up. I used to ski. So I mean, you know, I'd go skiing mm-hmm. when it was five degrees and zero, and
2: mm-hmm. it
1: doesn't bother me.
0: Yeah, I, it, it, typically it doesn't bother me either. But I'm, I'm getting old, Greg. I don't. I think I've passed you up. You were born at a later date than me, but my, my body has not aged like your body. <laughs> I am in health years, much older than you. So. All right. Let's now talk about overall, this overall roster. Um, how do you feel about it? I mean, clearly there needs to be some improvements. There, there needs to be more talent. Uh, Ryan Pose uh, uh, famously said, you know, we we're de- we're working with the hand that was dealt to us. Um, but do you think that this talent, as it is now, can bring uh, 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 as many wins than losses or, or one more win than a loss and, and play above 500?
1: You know, I got to be, it's a question mark. I, you got to be totally honest. Who the hell knows? Yeah. I think based on how they've done things so far, I mm-hmm. think they think, that the talent is a little better than many of the fans of the media in Chicago think.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: They're around these guys every day, uh, and, and one of the reasons being is you haven't seen him go out and sign people, right? Okay, now he he doesn't want to make a fool of signing. Could they between now and it and, and my opinion would be, you know, probably a, a week or so before training camp. It's not going to be right now. Could be, but I just don't see it happening. Could they sign another couple guys? Sure, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: you know if the money's right, uh, and then go from there. And I'll tell you, there's one thing I want to bring up, just so we 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 don't get through the show without uh, bringing it up. You know, talk. We always talk about a zero three technique. Do we have a three technique? And that is a is a question mark. Mm -hmm. And I'm looking at the roster last night, and I'm thinking, wait a minute. There might be a guy in there that that could be, depending on, you know, what his size is, and and they got right now Sam Camaro listed on the Bears website as two hundred and eighty eight
0: pounds. Yeah, okay. okay,
1: as a linebacker, but that's wrong. You know, he's he he's a defensive end, and could he? Some of these guys that have become pretty good three techniques have been started out as outside players Mm -hmm. and they really didn't have that um electricity explosiveness that you needed to play outside but put him inside Hmm. and they could be great and hey i'm the first one to say i'm throwing a dart at the wall sure i'm just I'm, i'm guessing i'm just thinking wait a minute that might be an option that we haven't talked about i'm sure they have because mm-hmm. they see the guys you know every day and working in the OTAs in the offseason program. And I'm just wondering if, if that is an option that has been discussed.
0: I'm sure it's happened during your tenure uh, in the 30 some years uh, working in the NFL professional football. Do you recall one particular player that you scouted at one position, and then the coaches says, "Hey, you know, what about if we move him here?" Or maybe you suggested moving him here as an example of of that being successful. I mean, I immediately. Think- yeah, I do.
1: And, I, and th- you're gonna have to look up the name because you know, at my old age, my I don't think as fast all the times I do. We drafted a guy from Texas mm-hmm. to be a defensive end, and in the late. 2000s, and he ended up being a Pro Bowl. Henry Melton. Oh, yes. Henry Melton. Uh, now, here's a story on Henry Melton. Henry Melton comes into Texas as a running back and mm-hmm. had success as a running back. Wow, that's He right. was a 250, 260 pound running back. Mm-hmm. Then they moved him to the defensive end, had success there. We drafted him to play defensive end.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And then once we got him, we go, Wow, we could put 1520 on this guy, and he could be a hell of a three. Wow. And he was until injuries, you know, curtailed him. But yeah. he he was a Pro Bowl three technique. He really was, yeah. And and really the outside of Tommy Harris, the best three we had.
0: Hmm that uh that that's a great example and i was thinking of big cat williams they moved him from the defensive line to offensive tackle well,
1: well big cat was uh you know before but big cat played in that division two pennsylvania league mm-hmm. which actually has got some pretty damn good football players mm-hmm. there's uh, every year there's a couple guys that come out of that league it's a very competitive league small state schools you know within within the state of pennsylvania but Big Cat, I think, played at Cheney State or something and was a defensive lineman. And he, he didn't have the, the quickness and explosiveness to play defensive end or defensive tackle in the National Football League. But he had some of the traits that you needed to play offense. And they saw it. And they moved him over to the offensive side of the ball. You know, they, they did it with Rashad Coward here a few, a few years ago. And I tell you, when you first looked at Rashad, when he moved over to tough, and she thought, you know what, this guy may have a chance. But then, you know, you're you're looking for the arrow to continue going up, mm. and he just leveled off. He got to a point, and leveled off.
0: He I Never got any better. I spoke with Danny Shiman, uh the other day, and I asked him what's been going on. He goes, I've been looking at a little bit of tape, and I go, Holy cow, you're an addict, man! So, I'm using that as a segue to ask you, what is happening? with NFL scouting departments right now. Uh, I'm assuming they're all on break and not looking at tape like Danny Shimon is, but can you take us through that process? When they get back, what are they doing as a scouting director? What would you be telling your uh, scouts to do? Uh, Give us a a, a portrait of what's happening now or in the near future.
1: Well, every every team's going to do it differently depending on who's running the scouting department, who the general manager is. I can tell you what I did in New York can tell you what you know i, I we did here mm-hmm. uh, when i was with new york we did pro stuff during the some during this time of the year okay so we studied players that could be potential free agents next year just to, and and the pro departments back then so this is the 80s and 90s mm-hmm. we're not nearly as big as they are now as far as the number of scouts was in the pro department So we would do pro work and study tape and and write reports on the different players in the league. Each guy had about 20, 25 players to do, each scout. Mm -hmm. So it would just augment what what the pro department had on these guys. Mm -hmm. When I was here, we had a larger pro department. And so our college scouts did not get involved on the pro side. I got involved doing pro stuff, but the, the scouts didn't. What the scouts would do now is just prepare. You're getting paid now. I mean, yeah, you could could take some off time. You can go on vacation, but you're still getting paid. I mean, you know, uh, even if you only work a a few hours a day. And the main thing we wanted them to do is especially, you know, they'd map out their schedule, what they were going to do, especially in the month of September, et cetera. So get a look and get a feel for some of these Players that they're going to be going into early, but especially look at small school guys, mm-hmm. you know, the, the the guys that are on the combine list from the D3 schools or the low end D2 schools and stuff. And then they, I, well, let me back up a little bit. We didn't tell our scouts that you had to go to this school, that school and that school. Mm-hmm. We let them make the decision. We called them and said you're the personnel director of your area. You handle the area the way you want to handle the area. Okay. Just just don't make any mistakes. <laughs> cuz <Exactly. laughs> so, cuz you're going to be held accountable. Right. <laughs> okay, so that being said, you know, check out these small schools. Determine if you think you got to make a school call. Mm-hmm. If there's enough talent from that guy that that guy's showing on the previous year's tape that you think you got to go in and take a look at him and make it and make a school, because when you make a school call, that's taking up a day of time, mm-hmm. you know, you got to drive to the place you're spending the day there. You got to wait for practice to start so you can see him. So, and the last thing we wanted was our scouts to have, a wasted day. I remember when I was with the Giants, I didn't make my schedule probably the first 12 years I was there. Okay. The, the scouting director made our schedules. So I'd be in some of these small schools and it'd be I'd get there 7 o'clock in the morning, 7.30 in the morning if it's only one or two guys I had to look at. And at 9 o'clock, you're going, what the hell am I doing here? And you're and you're stuck. Oh man. You know, because we had a set schedule. Mm-hmm. And that was and, and Jerry was there too, so he knew.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, so he he knew exactly how I felt. And and that is a wasted day. And yeah. there's not enough days Absolutely. in the fall to have a wasted day. Mm-hmm. So we when we came here, we we changed things and we just said, hey. You're going to make the determination. Now, one of the reasons we did that is this, mm-hmm. is if two or three small school guys turn out to be players in your area, mm-hmm. it's a hell of a lot easier to go back in November December to go to a place where you know he's a player mm-hmm. versus wasting a day in September. You follow what I'm saying on that?
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. You
1: you can play catch up a lot easier Mm -hmm. than, than wasting a day. We, you know, and we wanted them to spend the majority of their time at their power five schools, the schools that are productive schools, as far as giving players to the national football
0: league. Hmm. Is it easier? Um, to scout college talent or to scout pro talent and if is 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 the approach different
1: approach is different the when you're looking at college talent you're looking for traits that you can develop because you don't know how the guy's being coached mm-hmm. he could be coached in a way taught how to do things and you're going why why is he doing that but that's he's doing what he's told to be doing you know, and, and so you're looking, does he have the skill set? Does he have the size? Does he have the feet? Does he have the, the uh, flexibility, the strength, the power to compete for a job in the National Football League? So you're projecting in a way. Mm-hmm. Okay, once he becomes a pro, now he's already, he, he's made it to that level. Now is, you're looking at it, is he better than what we got? Gotcha. Can he can he make us a better team if we go out and get him? Now, the one thing that every team in the league does to their own detriment is they overrate their own players because <laughs> you you've got a relationship with them. Yeah. Sometimes I think it's almost better to bring in an outside guy to look at your own guys. Mm-hmm. To be honest, interesting, and, yeah. and you know, and say, hey, you may love them, but isn't that good?
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's it's funny because everything that you're saying now, it kind of I can relate to it from having worked in corporate America. You know, you've you've got to uh, uh, sometimes bring in outside consultants to look at my organization and tell me what we're doing wrong or you know how we can improve and so forth. Right, and right. You're just saying that. And a couple of the other things that you said before kind of related it to my previous uh, background in corporate America. So beyond that, so let's let's fast forward now to actually going to college games. What happens there? The, the, and, and of course, you said that every scouting department handles it differently. But in uh, your most recent experience, are, are uh, there's area scouts, and so they're all planning out, you know, what their schedule is. I'm going to go to this game. Going to go to that game. Uh, take take yeah, but game
1: way, let, me, let me cut you off a little bit here. Games, going to a game, you know, when I was with the Giants at first, my boss thought going to games were important. There's other people in the league that feel games are useless. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons being is, especially if you go to a, you know, a Notre Dame or an Alabama, you know, they've got several players That are prospects on that team. And you might have three, four, or five on each side of the ball. Well, you you don't got five sets of eyes. You can't watch all of them every play. You know, so you got to pick and choose who am I going to watch this play? And sometimes it has to do with down and distance. Now, where I feel different about that is if it's a quarterback. I want to see a quarterback play live because you see him within the conditions of a game that you can't necessarily catch on tape. Mm -hmm. And so how, how's he reacting to the flow of the game, be it good or bad? How about little side things? Like how's he react to his teammates on the sideline? How's he react to his coach on the sideline and watch that interaction?
2: Yeah.
1: You know, so things like that, and, um, you know, th- th- there's quarterbacks I've scouted where you see them live and they get to the sideline and they're kind of deadbeats. Hmm. They sit by themselves. They don't interact with people. And then there's others that, that try to fire their teammates up.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, so I-, I-, I think with quarterbacks, it's imperative that you – see them play live, the mm-hmm. other positions, sometimes, you know, if you can't get to a practice, okay, if your schedule is set, so your your first live look is uh, going to be at a game. Then you've you got to be on the field for the warm-ups.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And, and watch the guy move around because then you're seeing, you know, on tape you're saying, well, he looks like he's six, five and a half, and 320 pounds. But now when you see him in person, is he really that big? And, and your experience tells you if he is, if he isn't, if he got short arms, does he have long arms? What's, what's his physique like? How's he carry his weight? Uh, during the warmups, is he just going through the motions, or has he got some effort to him? You know, things like that. But you can see them move around in a way that you're not going to see on tape.
0: This is all fascinating to me. It really, really is, and and it's. Uh... Incredible. I, I guess I knew this, but the way you say it, um, you know, watching guys on the sideline is a big part of <laughs> of a scout's responsibility. Uh, that That is interesting because I'm always looking at the sideline, too. I'm looking to see, you know, who's chatting it up with other people, who's listening to coaches, who maybe drifting off and so forth. And you're reading body language and stuff. And so on. I guess you guys uh, account for all of that, too, in your scouting reports, huh?
1: Oh, yeah. In fact, I'll give you a perfect example. Joe Flacco. I saw Joe Flacco play twice live Mm -hmm. and he was at now he started off at Pitt, I think, and then transferred to Delaware, played his final year at Delaware. So he drops down to the FCS level and his numbers were outstanding. So if you're looking at the game tape and you're looking at the numbers, you say, this is your prototypical pocket passer. Big mm-hmm. guy, average mobility, uh, but you know, a little later in his year, below average mobility. But when he was a college player, but then his interaction was nil on the sideline. He was always by himself.
2: Mm-hmm. So
1: now it was okay. That brings up a question. Now we got to spend some time with this guy, especially yeah. if we're interested. And I remember Pep Hamilton was the, was the quarterback coach then. Mm-hmm. And he, and Joe was at the senior bowl, if I recall correctly, and Pep spent, got a one full evening with him
2: mm-hmm.
1: just to get a feel for what's upstairs mm-hmm. and his personality.
2: Interesting. And, Pep, and,
1: and, 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 and you know, giving Pep a, a, a pat on the back, that's one thing where he was really, really good at.
0: Yeah, he seems like the type of guy who's who's so personable. He can he can relate to all sorts of people, and probably uh, then describe that, uh, articulate that to the rest of the scouting department. Uh, uh, we we sh- we need to get him on the show. You know, A- ask him to come out for fifteen minutes so we can uh, pick his brain on stuff. Well,
1: I know one thing: he's vacationing now. What he's doing, I don't know. <laughs> this this time of the year, where scouts are still doing some work. Mm-hmm coaches they got another three and a half weeks and and I tell you it's a lot of they go to Europe they go to the beach they go all over but they the last thing they want to do is do football yeah I because once that. they get back and and they'll come back three or four days before camp starts
2: mm-hmm.
1: and then it's shit it's 12 14 16 hours a day every yep. day yeah for the next six months. And Ah, it is tough.
0: I can see that for sure. Greg, um, the other day on one of my other shows, uh, somebody uh, put up on uh, the chat, you know, we need to lose some games so we could get a high draft pick next season. And so in my typical, uh, Latin-blooded way, I, my, my blood started boiling, and I went off on one of my tangents. No, oh, you got to win uh, every game. You got to win. And I said, you know what? I got to ask Greg this question because he's going to take a much more professional approach to answering this question and, and a much more uh, controlled uh, response. So the question for you is, how important is it to win now? Or let, let me rephrase the question does it ever enter the mind of a coach, a player, an organization to lose games to improve their scouting position outside of the allegations that happened in Miami with coach Flores uh, uh, talking about the Miami owner offered him money to tank games. But in your experience, does that even come up?
1: Okay. Throw out that one thing because there's two sides to that story. He yes. said there was, and the and the other guy said there wasn't. Right. That is yet to be determined, and so we don't really know what the real answer is. Mm-hmm. It is most coaches, all coaches, they're very competitive by nature.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay,
1: they're former players themselves, and same with the front office. You know, ninety percent the guys are playing. They, they've been. Involved in competitive sports all their lives. Mm-hmm. They are competitive. They want to win. Okay. The word tank just doesn't, doesn't fit in their vernacular at all. Mm-hmm. Or isn't part of their vocabulary. They they just it, it goes against everything they've learned since they first put a uniform on, regardless of the sport. Mm-hmm. Because you've been taught play hard and win. And it's the same way you know in the league you're going out and try to win first of all, your job depends upon it. <laughs> guys are make, guys are making a bunch of money mm-hmm. okay and they're making a lot more money now than they made. you know when I was doing this mm-hmm. we didn't make nearly the money that that <laughs> the guys are making now sure I mean General managers, there were a few general managers that were making over a million dollars, but now general managers are making three and a half, four, four and a half million dollars. Yes, indeed. Okay, so do you think he wants to get fired from that job?
2: Hell Hell no. No. (laughs) No.
1: And and what's going to get him fired? Losing football games. Mm -hmm. Okay, so and regardless of, of... even if there was an owner that says I would be better off losing this year, well, guess who's going to be held accountable because you lost? Because the fans are going to be crying too. Mm-hmm. Is the GM and the coach? So it puts them in a no-win situation. Now I'm gonna, I'll, so I'm going to say that holds true until you get in December. Okay. Maybe the middle of December. Mm-hmm. And now you you get into draft position you start thinking okay where are we well if we win the rest of our games we're going to be picking 14th or 15th or something like that or if we win 3 out of 4 we're going to be win- you know this is where we're going to be picking and you, and you know it's not an easy formula to go through because you got to check on the schedules of the other team of what their records are strength of yeah. schedule and everything else so it, it it it's not an easy exercise to do And then, okay, what happens if we lose? Okay, the highest we can pick is fifth. And now you've got preliminary stuff. You're not finalized. You don't finalize boards until you get to April. But you know who the best players are. Now, granted, you don't know anything about the medical. You don't have verified measurables. So it's all preliminary. And mm-hmm. so it's like, well, yeah, we got a chance at this guy, this guy, or this guy, assuming everything goes right, you know, goes according to the plan. So then it it gets into a situation where you could be win by losing or mm-hmm. lose by winning. You but sure. if, if but you're still, I mean, I've had those conversations with the powers that be. Mm-hmm. Never once had the conversation with the coach.
2: Oh, okay. Well, because I've,
1: it's like totally separate. Yeah, because you know, because you know, the coach he he wants to win. His players want to win. Yeah, hell, their job depends on it. Mm-hmm. Their performance, the eye in the sky don't lie, right? Exactly. You know how they look on tape. Now, it, here's one thing. Now. You, and we can use the the current bears new regime new coaching staff and and new front office
2: mm-hmm.
1: what games do you want to look at I want to look at the games at the end of the season mm-hmm. that didn't mean anything <laughs> who was playing hard so do you see how that works absolutely sure yeah, so you know so when I hear some of this stuff a lot of it's media talk yeah. And and is it reality? No, at least you know. And I've been involved in this going back, you know, over forty years now. And and I just, I've never been part of it. it it's totally foreign to me. So mm-hmm. I just, I just can't. Does it happen in some places? It may, but you better have a real long contract, mm-hmm. and for a lot of money.
0: Well, and you say it's a media thing, but I got to tell you, you know, a a lot of fans always bring it up. You know, we, I'm hearing fans talk about it now before the season, because they look at this season as a rebuilding and let's, you know, since we're going to have all this money next year, let's get higher draft picks and that way. But the the thing is, who the hell is
1: going to be in the draft next year?
0: Exactly. Exactly.
1: You don't know what, you don't know what underclassmen are going to be in the draft Mm -hmm. and you can look at mock drafts now. Those are totally worthless mm-hmm. because I guarantee you, you look at those things and half to two thirds of those names won't even <laughs> be players that you're really considering come next April. Mm. You know, yeah. so it, it it's, it's, it's all fan. I call fantasy football. It means nothing.
0: Um, I, I, I also think that listen, you don't want that uh, disease to infect your clubhouse. You know, the, the even entertaining the thought that you're not playing to win. Secondly, is if you're playing to win, you might discover that some of the guys on your roster are the answer. You know what I'm saying? So, um, yeah, you know, throwing a guy out there like Equinemius Saint Brown, someone that you have hope in and 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 have said on this show that he could be a breakout player that's not playing to lose that's playing to win to see if this guy can help take you to the Super Bowl so
1: right well, no, there's not, there's no question there's yeah no question
0: all right um
1: I hate when people you know people start saying well let's start playing some of these young guys so we mm-hmm. can find out what they can play well if the I I understand in the last couple games sure. If it's already you're out of the playoffs, etc., and there's guy, and you know that there's certain players that they're, they're they're coming out of contract, you're not going to re-sign them because of age or money or whatever. You, you already know in that. Now, I can go back to your your question from 40 minutes ago. Okay, what do you, what are scouting departments do? Well, mm-hmm. what I particularly did is when I was scouting director is I started looking at players in so-called need positions mm-hmm. because, you know, coming out of the draft, coming out of free agency, you already know, okay, this guy's contracts up, this guy's contract's going to be up, this guy's contract going to be up and chances are, we're not going to bring them back. So you, you, you've already got that in your mind. Okay. Now it does, does it happen? A hundred percent that way? No, but probably 75% mm-hmm. that those guys aren't, aren't going to be brought back. You know, you could say the same, but, you know, going into last year, you knew Allen Robinson wasn't going to be around this year. Mm-hmm. So you, you've got to start, you know, looking at receivers or whatever. And that doesn't mean you're going to take them in the first round. But you've got to get an idea of what the top and the middle of the draft are going to look like at those positions. Now, what you don't know, and was easier actually when I was there because you didn't have and, until the last year I was a scouting director, you only have 35 to 40 juniors in the draft.
2: 100%. Well, hell, now
1: you got 120. It's loaded with underclassmen. Indeed. You know, so at, at, you're just throwing a dart at the wall if you think you can go through. And, and study all those kids. And you're, you just, you don't know. You could be wasting your time. You might not be wasting your time. Cause you don't know, you don't know what kind of year they're going to have, how healthy they're going to be. Is there going to be a change in their coaching staff?
2: Mm-hmm. Is the head
1: coach at the college they're at going to be fired? And that could make it, a, that could make their decision easy. You know what? I don't want to play for a new coach and a new staff and a new system. I'm going to enter the draft.
0: Hmm. I've got a, a question that I think we could spend an hour on, uh, but I'll ask it and 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 maybe we could just spend a couple of minutes on it. Do you think that the NFL uh, should expand, add another t- couple of teams? Do you think there's enough talent out in the football world to to be, be able to uh, accommodate two new franchises in the NFL?
1: No. Without question, I don't know if there's enough talent for 32 teams right now.
0: I'm glad to hear you say that, man, because I feel the same way.
1: No, I, I, I think we've reached saturation point.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, I, I think that I was a firm believer. I got why the league stopped paying for it. We had NFL Europe
2: mm-hmm. as
1: a as a minor league type thing, and there's players that came out of NFL Europe that turned in to be pretty good players mm-hmm. and we, you know, we could send players over there for development guys who were either practice squad guys or guys who are on your team that got very little playing time except for maybe, you know, special teams or, you know, for linemen, say PAT, an extra point, something like that. So you wanted to get them some playing time uh, and, and that was good. So I think that whether it's going to be the XFL coming back next spring or the USFL who knows? But there's got to be a tie-in between the league and one of those, uh, between the NFL and one of those leagues, mm-hmm. to where you've got an opportunity. See, I, I, I personally think that the NFL should be able to send some players to say the XFL
2: yeah, for development,
1: cool. like like we did with NFL Europe. Yeah, NFL cool. Europe was was support was was owned wholly by the NFL,
2: mm-hmm. and
1: and the reason that they stopped it as it just became too expensive. Mm-hmm. That was, you know, coaching staffs and players you had to pay and they were over in Europe and everything else. And so finally they just said, you know, we're not going to foot the bill for that anymore. But the use you got out of it was great. Well, if, if, and we were having those discussions with not necessarily the league office, but with people, when I was working for the XFL, with, but front office people in the NFL, and they were sending people to our games mm-hmm. and, and, and watching our practices and stuff. And and where they wanted us to succeed, you know, pandemic happened. And and otherwise, the original XFL or the original XFL 2.0, you know, we, we would have been finishing our third season mm-hmm. a few weeks ago. That's right. And, but they wanted us to succeed and they wanted a tie-in where they could send a half a dozen players.
2: Yeah,
0: Your perspective on this is appreciated even more because of your experience at the XFL. And so you got a really strong uh, look at the uh, talent that was available at that level. And uh, I think you DM me once about a couple of players, you know, that that I I said, yeah, NFL teams should look at this player, that player, and then you DM me and said, no, although those guys suck, (laughs) there just wasn't a lot of talent there. But I agree with you, the NFL needs to work something out with the XFL or the other league that's uh, playing football right now. All right, I want to move on to some questions. Last week, before we get to these questions, last week, uh, Mr. Shorty, who I don't see is here today, but he asked a question about uh, the drafting of uh, Cedric Benson, and there is a blogger in town who kind of maybe didn't interpret the words that you had. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so I just I wanted to ask well,
1: you, hard, Eric Lambert, who doesn't uh, you know have a hassle, doesn't know his ass from a hole in the ground,
0: and then someone you know yeah, write play. that one up, Eric. <laughs> yeah, how about
1: this? Er, 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 Eric has had me blocked on Twitter for better than five years. <laughs> We but, he listens, but he listens to every one of these podcasts.
0: <laughs> I've never met him personally, but uh, I've had some uh, cordial interactions with him. But yeah, it's sometimes uh, some of the stuff he writes uh, may not totally reflect what somebody said. Uh But I I just wanted to throw that out in case uh, you had a message from, and I think the message has been delivered. (laughs) All right, let's look at some of these questions here. Um, Let's go to Michael first. Greg, how many of the drafted offensive linemen this year will make the 53-man roster? Personally, I'd like to see one more of these guys make it instead of Peterman. Well,
1: I'll go to the first part or the last part first. Mm-hmm. Peterman could very well be cut and put on the practice squad and you know, they've got rules now in the practice squad where it used to be, you know, after you reached a certain point in your career, you weren't eligible to be on the practice squad, but they've changed the rules and you can have X number of players, like two or three of, of your players on the practice squad can be veteran players like a Peterman. And, and that very well could be the case. The only problem you're, is you're having is that if fee, both Fields and Trevor Simeon got hurt in the course of a game, who's going to play? It's it's strictly a safety precaution. Everybody's got three quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. A lot of them, the third is on the excuse me is on the practice squad. Now, if they continue the rule where they've done it the last two years because of COVID and they had success with it. So I assume they're going to continue to do it. Then on Friday or Saturday, you can bring up, you know, just flip out some guys that are on the practice squad with a 53 or, or whatever, and just bring a guy up for the game. So he's, he ends up getting a, a, um, a 53 man roster check because he's on the the squad for Mm -hmm. that one day. Uh, versus a practice squad check, uh, you know, you could do that. If they continue to do that, I'm fine with with Peterman being on on the practice squad. Okay. Uh, you're also, though, taking the risk that somebody could poach him.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But, you know, that's just want to look at it from all sides. So, you, you know, sure. you discuss all sides. Um, reality, they drafted four. I think mm-hmm. there's a good chance three of them could be on the 53 if they keep nine hmm. linemen and, and and used to be that you only kept eight linemen the last few years, most teams have been going more towards nine and that does not include your, your deep snapper. Mm-hmm. Your, you know, he, he's technically a lineman, but he's a needed, he's a special teamer, hmm. a specialist. So I, yeah, I, I think three, I'm not as personally high on, on, the kid, the center for who's a local kid uh from the University of Illinois. Mm-hmm. I think he's more of a practice squad guy. I like the upside of the other guys. I, I think uh J'Tire Carter from Southern has got a lot of upside. I think the kid from San Diego State has got a lot of upside. Guys that that could, you know, if you took them in the fourth round, mm-hmm. you wouldn't you wouldn't have bitched about it. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, the tackle from Southern Utah, that's a talented kid. Yeah. You know, he may end up starting. I mean, we'll we'll find that out in another two months. But, uh, uh, yeah, right now I think three. It, the, the worst, the, there's going to be two.
0: Yeah.
1: I think it's going to be three.
0: Interesting. Okay. Nomad uh, almost has a follow-up to this. He says, uh, would you start a rookie at left tackle? Yeah, uh, he's ready to play. Have you seen uh, a a rookie left tackle, especially like a mid-round left tackle, uh, uh, succeed immediately? Uh, It's rare, but it has happened. And you go back to Charles Leno. You really got your money's worth out of Leno, given that he was a seventh rounder and he started, didn't miss hardly a game in his 5 He didn't miss any games. Right. He he may not have been the best left tackle in the NFL, but uh, he was serviceable, that's for sure.
1: No, he didn't start, I think, until his second year.
2: Okay.
0: Okay.
1: But um, yeah, hey, if the guy is ready to play, mm-hmm. if he proves he's ready to play, mm-hmm. play him.
0: And he can be helped I, by the coaching. I was
1: watching, who was it, Green Bay mm-hmm. the other day, because they always have those Green Bay games on, you know, the reruns on the NFL Network. Yeah. And there's a guy playing left tackle a good part of the, the second half of the season that was a, 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 when he – now he's in his third or fourth year now, third year. But he was a rookie free agent, not a draft choice,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and a talented kid. You know, he's got a future in the
0: league. All right. Um, Back to Michael. He's got another question. He says he liked uh, Henry Melton and wants to know, what do you think about Robert Quinn? Will he show up or hold out for a trade? All of us would hate to lose Robert Quinn. And I, I'll add to that question is, What happens to this team if they are forced because Quinn makes it obvious that he doesn't want to play for a team that's rebuilding or he perceives as rebuilding? What happens to this defensive line if they lose Robert Quinn and end up with a future draft pick instead of somebody that can help them immediately?
1: Well, number one, I'd I'd like to see Quinn here. I I could see a scenario like this that – if the season isn't going that he's here, he's playing. And if the season isn't going well, that it's like a Von Miller situation last year, where he got traded from Denver to LA at the trade deadline or right before the trade deadline. Mm -hmm. And Denver got a pretty good haul for that. Uh, especially because Von Miller was, was, was playing pretty good. And, you know, I could see a situation like that. Um, is he going to be the type to to hold up the team? I don't know that cuz I don't know Robert Quinn. Right. He has he hasn't had a history of that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, he hasn't had that diva type personality attitude. Right. So I I I don't I don't know what's going to happen. I you know mm-hmm. you know that that one idiot on Twitter here, you know, he said this week that uh the Bears got a deal with Pittsburgh. Yeah, sure they do. <laughs> come on give me a freaking break
2: that's funny <laughs> I know
1: you know they're, 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 here, here's rule number one if they want to trade them Ryan Poles isn't the guy to make the first call mm-hmm. let somebody call him because you are dealing from weakness if you make the call Mm-hmm. I call you and I say, uh, "You, yeah. Quinn's not here. I got to move him. He doesn't want to be here. Mm-hmm. What do you give me? Oh, I'll give you a seventh. Oh, I got to get a fourth. Well, you got to get rid of him. Why should I give you a fourth? Exactly. You know what I mean? You know, You're dealing from weakness. That's yeah. like rule number one in making a trade. Don't make the call. Take yeah. the call.
0: Oh, that's that's a great philosophy. Um, all right, I got another good question here. Uh, this one from Jordan. Uh, we were actually talking about Lovey Smith the other day on the Dan and Aldo show, and then Jordan came on uh, to share his thoughts about Lovey's uh, Lovey Smith's tenure with the Chicago Bears. And his question here is, if you could talk about the core tenets of Lovey's defensive scheme—that three tech, that will linebacker, and that safety—and what Urlacher's presence did. To change Lovey's philosophy, and do you think this ties into Flus's philosophy at all?
1: Well, I, I can't speak for fluce mm-hmm. and and we've talked about it a number of times. Flus is far more sophisticated with this defense than Lovey ever was, as far as you know what he does with it, and. You know, when Lovey came in, the the and and we've told the story, you know, I gotta have a three technique, and we didn't have a three technique, you know, we had a totally different type of defense under Greg Blosh's defensive coordinator, which was a four-three, but really with with big, you know, two-gap three-four principles. You know, if you look at those guys, the only guy that didn't have monster size was Alex Brown. All those other guys were well over 300 pounds, and two of them were well over 350 pounds. We're mm-hmm. being nice saying they were 350 pounds. <laughs> um, but they couldn't play in Lovey's scheme. Mm-hmm. So, and, I, you know, I, it, it, when Lovey first got here, the key was I got to have a will. And he didn't know if he had a will because he saw the, time speed of of Lance Briggs, which was four, seven, seven or something at the combine. And, you know, that's too slow, but we told him and he went with us, Hey, he's going to be fine. He plays four, five, five. And that turned out, you know, we were correct. I think once he saw Brian in action Mm -hmm. that, you know, then it's like, okay, I got a bonus. And so I can do more. And it really helped coverage because Brian was so good in coverage. And Briggs was very good in coverage. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: But between the two of them, we had some great players at at Will and Mike, both against the run and in coverage. The only – if there's a weak point to Brian Urlacher's game is that he wasn't a Great or dominant? I, I, I'm not gonna say that. He wasn't a dominant pass rusher. Mm-hmm. He was a good pass rusher, but he wasn't. He didn't dominate from that. But um, but everything else he did, and and you know, don't forget, he was a safety in college. So we had a lot of experience in in, in coverage coming out of college, out of the uh, University of New Mexico, and he could play that deep middle. You know, he could or that 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 middle third of the defense so well and, and take things away from the opponent teams first because of his size and second, because of his awareness. Mm-hmm. So I think to answer Jordan's question, really, it, it, it just, it, it made the defense that much better because he, he didn't have one guy. He basically had like two wills and, mm-hmm. and that he could do a, a lot with them. Mm-hmm. And Bob Babich had a lot to do with it. Bob Babich was a great linebacker coach. He didn't do as well as as, as the coordinator. But as a linebacker coach, there are very few that are as good as Bob Babich. And yep. that's, that's why Erlacher had him present him in the Hall of Fame. He knew.
0: Yeah. Um, two more questions, and we'll get out of here. Uh, Nomad uh, asks, uh, from what you know, what you've seen, who is going to be the right guard or who is most suited, is the way he phrased it, uh, to play that right guard position for the Chicago Bears?
1: I don't know who it's going to be. I suspect one of Tevin Jenkins and Larry warm One's going to be one's going to be at tackle, one's going to be at right guard. And I think the rookie's going to be at left tackle.
0: Yeah, I'm 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 thinking Tevin is going to be at that right guard position, but uh, Tevin he... is
1: the more athletic of the two. Yeah. And so right you think, well, you put him at tackle, but not necessarily because you got that outside zone scheme where the guards got to play in space mm-hmm. and 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 things and so it, it might be more beneficial for him to be the guard instead of uh mm.
0: all right last question uh chris when we were talking about scouting he asked this question did you ever have a particular college you just <laughs> <dreaded>? <laughs> didn't like going to that's right penn state <laughs> Why is that pleasant? I
1: Why <laughs> I I love the area. Mm-hmm. I like the school. Joe Paterno was the head coach. Mm-hmm. He was a flaming dickhead.
2: <laughs> he made it.
1: Um, he made it very difficult.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Or I wrote an article for in, in the National Football Post about it. I got three calls from one general manager and, and uh, a player personnel director and a scout about. Thank you.
0: Oh good.
1: <laughs> After every, you know, it, and it was he just made it awful huh. on every scout that came into that school. First of all, he'd only open up, you know, like a lot of schools are open all the kind. George Perlis was head coach at, at Michigan State for a number of years. Great guy. George would say to us, he goes, I wish I had eight to ten scouts here every day. Why is that? He goes, because I know I'm gonna have a good practice. <laughs> that is great. <laughs> okay. George, though, coach in the NFL. So he he knew that, hey, these kids are gonna practice hard when they're scouts there. Paterno didn't want anybody there. You know, and he'd only open up for a week of the whole season. he'd open up for a week for scouts to come in. And then a lot of times you'd get there. Let's say, you know, a lot of times they didn't do anything on Monday or whatever. So you got Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, you get there and he goes, no, we're shutting it today. And you're already there. Mm -hmm. So now you can't do anything. And it's not like Penn state was an easy place to get to like a three hour drive from, from, through the back roads of from Pittsburgh and, and two hours from Philadelphia. Two and a, you know it's just oh. a, just just it's in the center of the state and you ever been in Pennsylvania? You know the the, the topography of of uh, Pennsylvania. It's not like it's flat like Illinois. Mm-hmm. You know, so you got the Allegheny Mountains running through there, and <laughs> he just you know miserable. And then you couldn't trust a word anybody told you there. Mm-hmm. because Joe had the company line. They are all, you know, you tell them they're a great kid. They, are, they work hard. And you never, you couldn't get the right background information because it was an edict. So you never knew. So, I mean, you had to do some real digging. And then the pro days were atrocious. He'd schedule the pro days for like four in the afternoon. You couldn't watch tape leading up. And the last damn plane out of there was at like six o'clock. Oh my God. So it was really just, you know, Wait. it got to a point where I said, screw it. I'm not going here anymore. Mm-hmm. And I stopped going. Wow. I said, I'll do them on the road. They're not going to do me. They're, they're not going to give me any information. Mm-hmm. So, you know, know what I did? I go to Michigan state or something. And if they played at Michigan State or they played at Illinois, I'd, mm. I'd go to those schools. I'd watch their tape at those schools. I'd go to the game. I could mm. see their players in warmups, like we talked about earlier in the show. And it didn't matter if I talked to the coaches because they were going to lie to me anyway. That is so fun. So I, that, that's a, a, a long answer, but it, it only took me about a tenth of a second to come up with the school that I hated going to.
0: Well, Chris uh, gets our award for question of the day, a <laughs> great question. And uh, yeah, I, that, what a disservice to his players to run that kind of environment that's not helping his players with uh, NFL oh, there were
1: There were parents that got up in arms. Mm-hmm. And uh, talk to Robbie Gold. Mm-hmm. You know, he went there. He, I mean, he knew he knew how bad, how pissed off some of the parents got. <laughs> and finally, basically called out Joe. It was the and and then he he opened things up, but he was still just a miserable son of a bitch.
0: <laughs> well, put. All right, I, I think I got all our questions out of the way. Yeah, I think so. We we were uh, hacked by some uh, uh, organization that sells sex. Uh, and I'm not going to post any of their messages up on the screen unless they're going to send us some money <laughs> to pay for our bills. <laughs> but uh, really annoying, uh, the amount of uh, bull crap uh, was, that was up on the chat. So apologize for that. We'll work with YouTube to get rid of those people. And uh, Don Burr has one last thing. He says, uh, can I get a Detroit versus everybody from you and Greg? You want th- This is our resident Detroit Lions yeah, fan. Let, what's,
1: he, what's he want to know?
0: He, he wants to know why the Detroit Lions suck so badly. <laughs> any advice?
1: <laughs> you know, I've, I've had some friends that have, have worked at Detroit and, okay. you know, good people. I don't know any of the Fords personally. Um, so I've always hoped that they, you know, would do well. I mean, obviously, when I came here, became a rival team, you want to beat them. Mm -hmm. I just think they haven't been run well. Mm -hmm. And are they going to be done? I know Dan, I now I knew Dan Campbell. We drafted Dan Campbell when I was in New York. I haven't talked to Dan Campbell you know, since he was a player in New York. So I, you know, I don't know what he's like now for his sake. Yeah. I hope he does well. Yeah. But it's been, you know, guys like Marinelli, Marinelli is a great coach. mm -hmm. He died in Detroit. Yeah, you sure did. You know, and 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 it's you know it's happened before. So I don't know. I, I mean, some teams are just destined for that, and and I don't know if it's ownership or what. Now you got Mister Ford's not around. Mrs. Ford is not involved. Uh, you got one of the kids. I think it's one of the daughters who's more involved as the quote owner. Uh, you got a different general manager was brought in lat, you know a year ago. Uh, maybe it's gonna be different this time around. I who knows? It, it's like let's wait and see what happens.
0: I will say this about the Lions. Uh, they have a good opportunity to uh, have to control the line of scrimmage in most of their games. That offensive line that they've built, they've got five really good starters to depth isn't quite there for me. The defensive line has got some potential. They drafted Hutchinson out of uh, Michigan, but outside of that, there aren't you know any star players that I can think of. Any thoughts about their line of scrimmage? Um, uh,
1: yeah. I, I, I don't know the talent that well. I'd have to really sit down and study it to say, you know, I, I spend my time on the bears, the bills, the Colts, um, you know, if Detroit becomes a, a decent team, then I'll start studying them. But right now, it's like, you know, I put I put the bears up with two W's every time they, and if they lose a the game, then I'm pissed off.
0: And Don Burr, uh, I'm sure Greg would be happy to give you a detailed scouting report on the Lions. Just send a check first, uh, and, then,
1: <laughs> and then he will give you a oh, open open check uh,
0: and open. An open check. Holy cow. I told you this guy was. Blank check
1: with a signature on the
0: bottom. <laughs> there you go. All right, uh, Greg, this has been yeah, fun. anything you
1: want to know then.
0: <laughs> That's right. You'll get scouting reports and inside stories. <laughs> uh, this has been fabulous. Another great uh, Gabriel Talks football show. We are going to take about uh, three or four weeks off. Uh, Greg, well, it I can't hope be
1: four that- weeks. We'll be in the training camp.
0: Uh, so three weeks off <laughs> okay, and uh,
1: the rookies report on what, like the 22nd or something like
0: that. Yes. The 22nd is correct. Yes. So okay, we'll, so we'll, we'll be back want, I think...
1: we're, we're right around then. We want to, and, and if there's going to be any new players, mm-hmm, yes, that'll happen probably right before the veterans come in like three days later in mm-hmm. that area. So that's three weeks from now. Okay. You, you you might see some roster changes. We'll see. I, Who knows that that's going to be up to Ryan Poles and Flues.
0: Yeah. But trust me, if there's anything urgent that pops up, uh, even if I'm in San Diego, which is where I'm headed for vacation, I'm calling you up and we'll do a show with me by the pool and you, wherever you are. (laughs) (laughs) And we'll uh, talk about the breaking news. um, You know, the score
1: did a thing, you know, with with Spiegel and, and, and Parkins from uh, that, that sports Book place out in Las Vegas by the yeah. pool. They yeah, did yeah, yeah, two weeks there one week in the fall and one week, I think, this spring. And they, where they were back, right by the pool the whole show.
0: And they came back fatter and uh and uh with a lot less money in their wallet. I bet <laughs>
1: I couldn't. Yeah, I,
0: I did listen to a couple of those shows, That was very entertaining. Um, all right. So that is it. And I just want to remind people that we've got some baseball coverage coming up. Show, do you like this, uh, uh, baseball player, Shohei Otani? He's pitching against the white Sox tonight, Greg. I'm
1: not a a big baseball fan.
0: Okay. Well, this guy is, he pitches and he hits home runs.
1: Yeah, I know. When what's his his third year in the league or second?
2: I think it's his third. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I know. I know. I know he, he can play outfield too. And, and, uh, you know, you can, pitch, you, you can pitch him on Monday and he can play outfield the rest of the week and then pitch again the next week.
0: It's you know, whatever
1: his turn in the rotation is. And in the meantime, he'll hit 40 home runs.
0: Exactly. So, Finney Parisi has deemed it Shohei Otani Day. And so, his show at 2 p.m. is going to cover Otani versus the White Sox. And then, later tonight at 10 p.m. The debut, the premiere of Jordan Silvera's Bare Necessities. That is it for us. Uh, If you want to know what our schedule is, I'll still be operating our Barroom Network Twitter account. That's the best way to stay on top of things and also follow Greg Gabriel at Greg Gabe on Twitter. Greg, you're the best. We will uh, see you soon.
1: See you later. Thanks, guys.